Welcome to Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. We teach the common wisdom of love and unity that is found in all mainstream religions, metaphysical teachings, mysticism, and inspired secular and religious writers and teachers throughout the ages. Our goal is to help you connect with your higher divine self and transform from the inside out so you can become a force for love and transformation in the world. Each week, we bring you wisdom from our founding spiritual director, Reverend Candace Shalhoub, and other guest speakers. We hope you enjoy this week's words of wisdom. It was that ancient Sufi mystic Rumi who said, what you seek is seeking you. And in the English translation, it's really easy to read our desire for things of this world in this slogan. It's tempting to sort of make it our law of attraction mantra to get the money or the relationship or the fame or the power or the adoration that we want in the world. However, when we read this passage in a Farsi translation, which is much closer to the original Persian that Rumi wrote in, the line changes a little bit. And it reads, what you seek is with you. So the change is subtle. What you seek is seeking you. What you seek is with you. It kind of reminds me of what that Jesus guy said about the realm of God being within. And we should not be listening to anyone who says the realm of God is out here somewhere. Look, there it is. Look, it's over there. Look, it's there. The realm of the holy, which by the way is what we are all truly seeking, is right here within our own heart and our mind and our soul. Both Rumi and Jesus agree on this point. Which means, Jubilance, the eternal question that we face is this. Which world are you pursuing? In which world will you seek your desires? Will you play the ego's game of seek but do not find and chase its fleeting and ultimately unsatisfying idea of what brings peace or joy or love? Or are you seeking on that higher realm, that spiritual realm, that which is already with you, that eternal, knowable, and unshakable peace, love, and joy. You know, the choice seems clear enough, but this is the point where the ego goes, hey, I can give you both. And the answer is, we can have both. We can have worldly joy and peace and eternal joy and peace. You can have both inner and outer. But the ego's plan for accomplishing that is never going to work. Pursuing desires outside first will never ever result in the peace that passes all understanding. Because that's already within us. It's already freely available without having to pursue anything at all. It's just waiting to be recognized for us to say yes to it and accept that it is true that we are already peace and love and joy. And jubilance, when you can do that, when you can do that, and you claim the inside world is already holy in the realm of God, then you will not believe how fast the outer world will conform to that. So fast, all you'll know to say is, Oh, yeah. yeah. Hear these wise and holy words. <laughs> From A Course in Miracles, Lesson 24. Y'all, this is my favorite 
This is my favorite lesson from A Course in Miracles. <laughs> it says, I do not perceive my own best interests. In no situation that arises, do you realize the outcome that would make you happy? Therefore, you have no guide to appropriate action, no way of judging the results. What you do is determined by your perception of the situation, and that perception is wrong. Yes, you can laugh. <laughs> the course is funny. It, it, is, it makes jokes all the time. So you, you can determine your perception of the situation, but your perception is wrong. It is inevitable then that you will not serve your own best interests. Yet they are your only goal in any situation which is correctly perceived. Otherwise, you will not recognize what they are. If you realize that you do not perceive your own best interests, you could be taught what they are. But in the presence of your conviction that you do know what they are, you cannot learn. The idea for today is a step toward opening your mind so that learning can begin. And from Buddhist writer and teacher Ken McLeod, the mechanism of desire is based on a belief. I am incomplete as I am now. Desire is misdirected yearning that tries to correct the imbalance created by that belief. The belief, in turn, is based on a misperception. I am separate from what I experience. We reach out to the world of experience, identify objects that sing the siren song of completion, and strive to get them. By going into the experience of desire itself, rather than acting on it, you let go of the belief that you are incomplete. The energy of desire ceases to dictate behavior and instead fuels presence. Being completely in the experience of what is, internally and externally. These are wise and holy words. Thanks be to the holy. All creation is holy word. All creation speaks volumes of the holy. Hallelujah. Oh yeah. On a recent podcast, author and uh, life coach Martha Beck told a story about how one morning she was enjoying her healthy probiotic smoothie and her partner Rowan's two-year-old daughter Lila asked if she could have some. And Martha Beck told her, no, this is, a, this is medicinal and it will make your tummy feel bad. And Beck says that Lila in that moment looked at her like the entire concept of evil had suddenly sunk into her brain. Then she says, the screaming began. <laughs> Lila thrashed and howled. This is a two-year-old now. It's not that she wanted the drink that badly, Beck says, but since it was right there, she could see it. It was so close and was... It was being denied to her, her anger and frustration intensified and then was unleashed. And I don't know about any of you, but it was this moment that I realized that Lila is my spirit toddler. <laughs> I feel just like, yeah, anybody else? That's your spirit toddler right there. <laughs> I feel just like her. I want to pitch that same kind of colossal fit whenever I think about Jubilee Circle. Ever since we began this odyssey back in 2010, my one desire 
has been for this to be a thriving spiritual community that is supported solely by the generosity and financial dedication of its members. And Jubilance, we were this close. <laughs> we were almost there in 2019. I was just like Lila. I was staring at what I had dreamed of and wanted this entire time. It was within my grasp. I could feel it. I could smell it. I could almost touch it and taste it and then <sighs> snatched away by COVID. In the life of both businesses and churches, there is something known as a tipping point. It is that moment when you go, it's, it's the overnight success. Larry and I were talking about this. You, you work for 20 years and then you're an overnight success, right? <laughs> you come out of nowhere or something. It's your tipping point when you go from small and struggling to sizable and strong. And in March of 2019, Jubilee was teetering on that tipping point. There was consistently about 35 people in the room every celebration. We had a lot of events happening. People were learning about us. They were feeling excited about being here. We were not completely financially thriving yet, but giving was up. People were generous when they needed to be. My dream was right there. Right there. And in that moment, Back in March of 2020, every single one of us thought, yeah, it'll be a two-week break and we'll be right back at it. <laughs> How'd that work out? Here we are almost three years later. Here we are three years later at square one. Right back where we were. My inner two-year-old, my spirit toddler, is having a tantrum. Not happy about any of this. And you know what you do with unreasonable toddlers? Mothers, anybody? Let them cry it out. Let them have their fit. Get it out of your system. So what sparked my recent tantrum? <laughs> well, it was a board decision to pivot. Now, in my day job, I read about and write about business and leadership. That's just what I do five days a week. And the one thing that I learned that made a difference between businesses and churches that survived COVID and came out of it thriving was their ability to pivot away from a business model that didn't work anymore in this strange new world to one that would. And some of you may have heard some of the things about the living room and the things we're trying to do. That's the plan for Jubilee Circle. Because Jubilee Circle, being the star, isn't working. That's a business model that doesn't work anymore. We gotta pivot. And it makes sense to pivot to what is our strength in this moment. And you're sitting in it, this beautiful space. So we shift the emphasis from who meets here to what this place is. At Lang's show on Friday, I had a musician come up to me and say, this is a hidden gem, and that's it. We are a hidden gem. This space 
not the gym where you work out, but the, <laughs> the GEM, the one that sparkles. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move this place to host events. We're going to call it the living room because we've got those couches over there. It looks like the living room. And we're going to use it to host events like Lang and Danielle and the other performances like the Opera Company and space for places for businesses to meet. The, uh, we already have a group that, that rents semi-sporadically, you know, just to, to meet in the space. So, hey, we've got, we've got all this. We've got this space. It's great. But the tea leaves are clear. We either do this kind of pivot where the space is the star instead of Jubilee, or we go the way of so many other businesses and churches in the wake of the pandemic. It makes sense. But you know, my toddler, <laughs> my toddler was just, no, it's not fair. It's not fair. I have spent nearly 13 years trying to make this dream come true, and now I've got to start all over again. We rented space from others, and now we're just back to being a renter again, even though we're the landlord. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. <laughs> it hurt. It felt like a failure to my ego and a completely unfair setback. The desire of mine was again delayed, left unfulfilled. But you know what? Desire, it gets a bad rap. People think that the Buddha taught that desire is bad and is the root of all suffering, and that is not true. The Buddha taught what, what causes suffering is not our desires, but our attachment to those desires. When we get all wrapped up in wanting to control exactly how our desires manifest in the world around us, that's when the suffering starts. That's when the temper tantrums happen, when things don't pan out the way we said they ought to pan out. So the only thing that ever soothes my inner toddler is Lesson 24 from a workbook of A Course in Miracles. I do not perceive my own best interests. I know what I want. But is that really the best? I don't know. In no situation that arises do you realize the outcome that will make you happy. Therefore, you have no guide to appropriate action, no way of judging the result. What you do is determined by your perception of the situation, and that perception is wrong. If you realize that you do not perceive your own best interests, you could be taught what they are, and that jubilance is the good news. If we realize that we have no idea what's in our own best interest, then we can release our attachment to our desired outcomes and be open to learn about what truly is in our own best interest. And how do we do that? We stop watching the thing that we desire. And instead, we begin watching the inner spirit toddler who can teach us that while we can't always get what we want, we will always, in every way, get exactly <coughs> what we need. Breathe deep. When little Lila had her blow up over being denied a sip of Beck's drink, Beck says she remembered a piece of wisdom that she had learned from one of India's greatest 20th century sages. And I'm going to struggle to say this name, so give me a second. As a man named, she just, it rolled off of her tongue, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Sri uh, Nizagardata, Nizagardata, say it again? Nizagardata Maharaj. Yes. He taught that the mind is interested in what happens. The mind is interested in what happens. While awareness is interested in the mind itself. The child, he says, which is the mind, watches the toy. But the mother, who is awareness, watches the child. 
And this is how Beck dealt with Lila and provides a model for us to watch our own desires. Instead of focusing on what Lila could not have, that smoothie, Beck says she focused on Lila with a sense of absolute compassion. And this is something we can all do when we get attached to our unmet desires. In that moment when we're so consumed with getting what we want, with that child wanting that toy or wanting that drink. But if we can breathe deeply and step back from the attachment to that desire, we can then become the loving and compassionate awareness, that mother that sees the suffering of the child and gathers it up in her loving arms to console it. And this is what I had to do for myself when my spirit toddler had its little temper tantrum. I had to lovingly turn my attention from my attachment to how I think this place should be and what I think is in my best interest and lovingly tend to the pain of having an unfulfilled desire. Why is it that our unfulfilled desires hurt so badly? Well, Buddhist teacher and author Ken McLeod says it best. The mechanism of desire is based on a belief. I am incomplete as I am now. Desire is misdirected. It's misdirected yearning, he says, that tries to correct the imbalance created by that belief. The belief, in turn, is based on a misperception. We don't know what's best for us. The misperception that I am separate from what I experience. We reach out to the world of experience, identify objects that sing the siren song of completion, and then we strive to get them, he says. And this jubilance has been my problem for 13 years because I expected... I have expected Jubilee to complete me in some way. I have seen it as something to strive for, something that would make me feel whole, successful, respected, whole, maybe even revered in some way. <laughs> Hello, ego. <laughs> the only way out of desire, McLeod says, is something called, something that the Buddhists call renunciation. And this like desire, is a misunderstood concept as well. Because when we talk about renunciation, we think that we are just swearing off of desiring altogether. Fine, I don't want anything. No, that's not true. The path to renunciation, McLeod says, leads us straight through desire. We must move into the experience of our desire, he says, instead of trying to fulfill or repress it. So he proposes an exercise of thinking about something you want whether it's an actual object, a relationship, recognition, a fully member-supported spiritual community, whatever floats your boat of desire in this moment. He says, let that feeling come up. Experience how it feels in your body. Feel all the emotions that come up. Let that spirit toddler thrash about. Let it tell its stories about how unfair life is and how you're never going to get what you want. Don't control the experience, McLeod says. Don't use it as a time, oh, I gotta work on that. No, just let it go. Move completely into that desire. Experience it fully, because he says when you do, a shift will occur. And when you look at your desire again after this exercise, you will notice a change. By going into the experience of desire itself, McLeod says, rather than acting on it, you let go of the belief that you are incomplete. 
The energy of desire ceases to dictate behavior and instead fuels presence. Being completely in the experience of what is internally and externally. And jubilance, I will tell you, this works. I took my desire for jubilee through this exercise and on the other end, I had a revelation. I am complete whether jubilee exists or not. The energy of the desire for Jubilee to be what I dictate for it to be completely dissolved. I let go of the attachment and I found myself fully present in the experience of what is. And I also realized something else. Jubilee is already complete. Jubilee has succeeded. There are a lot of new spiritual communities that pop up and are gone in months, maybe a couple of years. Has anyone heard of Rachel Held Evans? She's an evangelical writer. She, she died a couple of years ago at the age of like 35, but she was an amazing woman. And I interviewed her once, and she talked about this spiritual community that she and her husband had started and it lasted like two or three years. And at this point, Jubilee had been around for seven, eight. And she's like, wow, wow. Good for you because you're doing something right. We're going on 13 years. How is that a failure? How is that a failure? but I can't keep projecting my desires on Jubilee. Jubilee is, Jubilee is, it's doing what it's doing. I don't know what's in my own best interest. How can I know what is in Jubilee's best interest? All I can do is keep watching my spirit toddler and hold her when her desires overwhelm her and reassure her that she is complete no matter whether any of her desires are fulfilled out here in the world or not. So Jubilance, I invite you this morning. What are your desires? What are they? Renounce them. That doesn't mean you give up wanting what you want. What it does mean is that you must realize that you don't know what's in your own best interest. But if you are willing to keep your heart open, Holy Spirit will teach you what's best. And if you are open enough, it will manifest. This isn't how I planned it, but it's great. Better in many ways than I could imagine. <coughs> the Tao of desire is the process of learning that we are not the child desperately desiring the toy, the things of this world that give us momentary satisfaction but never any lasting joy or peace or love. Instead, we must learn we are the awareness. We are not the child, we are the mother that watches the child, the dreamer who knows that our desires are just made up madness. But the pain of not getting what we want, it is real and it needs to be experienced so we can release the desire and remember that we are already we are already complete. So I invite you this, this week, Jubilance, when you find yourself 
caught in a web of desire, and that inner spirit toddler is throwing some manner of epic tantrum. Breathe deep. Create that space where you can shift your view from the toy to the child, from the desire to the desirer. Go deeper into that feeling of desire. Really taste it, touch it, smell it, hold it tight. Feel the pain of incompletion because it is in that moment of renunciation, McLeod says, that you discover true freedom, the deep, quiet joy that has always been present in you. What you seek is with you, Rumi says. You just need to stop watching the toy. Watch your inner toddler. Because you may never get the worldly toy that you want. But if you follow this process, you will find that every time you will get the true freedom, the deep, quiet joy that you always need. Because what you seek is with you. And when you realize that, in that moment, all you'll know to say is, Oh, yeah. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. If you enjoyed the program, we hope that you'll support us by leaving a good review of this podcast wherever you download your shows. We also hope you'll support us in other ways, either by becoming a subscriber to our YouTube channel and our weekly newsletter, or by supporting us financially. You can find out how to do all of that by visiting our website at jubileecircle.com. Many thanks to Audio Coffee from Pixabay for supplying our podcast music. Join us again next week, and until then, take the words of Meister Eckhart with you. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. We thank you for your time and wish you the kind of week that will leave you saying, oh yeah. <laughs>